Hello, everyone, and welcome to A Different Door. A Different Door is a different kind of worship experience here at Grace Avenue, um, where we have conversation each week around the scriptures and topics that are going on um, in our lives and in our world. Um, today, I am really excited to have um, both Pastor Laura Bird um, as well as Jennifer Brad here with us. Jennifer is a member of our church. Um, she is also a licensed professional counselor um, and supervisor. She is a certified clinical trauma professional, um, and she um, helps run a practice in our area called Planting Seeds. Um, besides all of her acclaim in her work, um, she is also a saint in our congregation. Um, and, and I say that because Jennifer volunteered in the youth program with me um, for almost a decade. Um, and anybody who's willing to do that and spend that much time with me obviously is a saint. So um, I'm really excited to have Jennifer here with us today. Um, we are starting a new series called Homecoming. Um, and it's a little bit different than the way we think about homecoming because a lot of times when we think about homecoming, we think about going home somewhere. Um, when I first kind of thought of the the title and uh, what it meant, I, I pictured an old movie in my head, which not everyone in the congregation will know, but I thought of Homeward Bound, right? The Incredible Journey and all of the dogs trying to find their way home. Um, and this is not homecoming to a physical location. This is a homecoming to an emotional location. It's about figuring out how we find our true selves and how we embody our identity. And to do that, a little bit this morning, we're gonna be talking about um, trauma and the way that we relate to some of that. So um, we did wanna provide a trigger warning this morning that we're gonna be talking about trauma. Um, we will be talking in the midst of trauma of the different kinds of trauma. Um, and so if that is something that provides a trigger for you or something that you need to keep a boundary on, we wanna let you know that that conversation is happening um, in advance. Um, Laura is up here with me this morning as well because I just experienced a recent trauma. Um, some of you were here last week where we were praying for my daughter, um, Hattie. She is doing okay. We thank you for your prayers. Um, but because of that, and in talking about trauma in front of a lot of people, I didn't know how I was going to do. Um, and so I asked her to come and be my backup here this morning. So she's here uh, to carry the conversation if I can't carry the conversation. So Laura, thank you for that as well. So I guess I wanted to start this morning by talking about homecoming. Um, and the, the challenge with it is, I think the most important journey that we all take is discovering our true selves. Um, and it's really necessary in terms of the fact that we carry a lot of harm and a lot of hurt with us that have happened to the different messages that we've gotten from other people. So Jen, I guess I wanted to ask you, what, how do we find our true selves or what is really our true selves in the midst of all of that? The million dollar question. Um, <laughs> First of all, thank you for inviting me back. Um, I will tell you all, this is the first time I have been in front of a group and held a microphone since I did the eulogy at my dad's funeral. Um, so I, like Christopher, um, am doing my best to be fully present with you guys today. Um, I think figuring out our true selves really is a life journey um, that is going to change as we experience different chapters in life. Um, different parts of our world. Um, I am not the same person in some ways, thankfully, that I was at 20, now at 50. Um, but I think ultimately it is really, it requires community and a place where I can belong versus fitting in. And our culture really pushes us to fit in and to um, 
form to a mold that meets other people's expectations as opposed to fully embracing and embodying who God created me to be in this world. And that's going to take me belonging and being accepted, um, warts and all. Yeah, I think so often we embody an identity, right? And a lot of the identity that we embody is made of the voices that were around us. Um, I got told very early on in my life that I was bad at math. And so I just embodied an identity of somebody who was bad at math. If you've ever watched me do math, you'll know I'm actually bad at math. Um, But when I had the right tutors, I really wasn't. Um, But one of the things I'm fond of saying is, um, you know, I'm a pastor, so I may be bad at math, but I have faith that it'll all work out. Um, But also, we take these messages that are given to us, and we hold on to them. Uh, When I was in elementary school, I had a bunch of kids that started making fun of the way I laughed. Um, Mm. Now, if you have heard me laugh, you know I have a very loud, very boisterous laugh. Um, But these kids started making fun of me for it, and so I learned how to laugh silently. Mm. And I I would laugh with no noise. And I did that all the way up until college. And in college, I said, you know what? I'm gonna rediscover how to laugh again. And so I began to laugh and people began to try to make fun of me again. But at that point, I said, you know what? I don't really care. I I want to be able to laugh again. And I get joy out of my own laugh now. Um, I know my children get joy out of it as well. Um, But it's one of those things that we hold on so much to the messages that hurt us. Um, and we don't necessarily hold on to the messages that help us. And I don't really know why that is, why we hold on to the hurt instead of the help, Um, but that seems to be part of the challenge as well. So how do we begin to hold on to the positive things in that journey and not so much of the negative? Well, there actually is um, neuroscience that helps us understand why we hold on to the one negative in the midst of the thousands of positives. And our brains were designed with a built-in negativity bias that helped our ancestors survive. Um, They were constantly scanning their environment for threat, but their threats were lions and tigers and things that wanted to eat and kill them. Our threats are very different today, at least in the privileged place that most of us live. Um, And so a threat to me might be someone making fun of my laugh. My brain doesn't really understand the difference. And so um, I think that a lot of scripture talks to us about being good stewards of our thought life. And this is how I make sense of that, that I can understand how my brain was wired and why Yet I can also be intentional. This is where we talk about the practice of gratitude and um, really looking for what is still good even when things are really hard and difficult and traumatic. Um, Yeah, and I think that is really one of the challenges. Laura, you have had a lot of trauma in your life. (laughs) um, And I'm not going to ask you to unpack it all here this morning. But in the midst of that, you've also found some helpful tools that help you see some bright and positive things. Will you share some of the ways that you have been able to hold on to the good and not so much the hurt Mm, sometimes? Yeah. Um, I have a lot of spiritual disciplines that I um, sometimes faithfully practice and sometimes not so faithfully practice, depending on where I am. But um, about nine years ago, um, I took a meditation class. I was really um, depressed. Uh, I really wasn't sure where my life path was going or my career, um, which was very important to me. And um, so I, I just, you know, randomly signed up for a meditation class and it 
honestly changed my life. Um, I learned how to breathe. I learned how to check in with my body. Just things that I never even thought of because I'd been stuck in this kind of more intellectual space of, of medication only or, you know, fix it only in a certain Western way. And I realized that, you know, there's so many practices and we have to find the ones that are, that resonate with us, right? So I started doing yoga, um, which when I grew up, yoga was kind of considered uh, not evil, but, you know, not something Christians did. And so I was a little hesitant with, with the yoga and the meditation and, you know, is this Christian? But I realized that, um, that through it, through those practices, I saw Christ because that's my tradition. Hmm. And, um, and so I uh, started eating a bit healthier too, which helped me a lot. Um, it, you learn that there's, that there's not just one way of going about your trauma, that there's, there's di- all these different angles that you can, I, I would recommend just trying and really seeing what resonates with you, what makes you feel like you have life and is giving you life and is helping you, especially with those, um, I call them thought patterns or thought loops. And that's that negative, um, I deal with a lot of negative self-talk. So, you know, it just comes up and, and part, of, part of it's just awareness. And that's what meditation for me brought awareness to my thought patterns and what the stories that I was telling myself over and over again that necessarily weren't true. But they were there, and they were constant. <laughs> and so it kind of helped me got a little bit of a hold on, on that. And I think we try to fix it with, um, especially a lot of us in, in our situatedness here, want to try to fix it solely with medication. And I personally um, think we should do all the things. So I think medication is part of it. But it's, um, it's so much more. It's, it's, it's full body. It's, whole, it's a whole body experience when you're trying to understand trauma, especially trauma in your body. I love that because the, the things that you have done are the homework. Right? It is. It yeah. is. It is homework. Yeah. You, have, you have done the things to help yourself be able to recognize your trauma and your triggers. Um, you know, Jen, I think so often when we think about and we use the word trauma, we think about these big life experiences, right? Like I had last weekend when um, my daughter ended up in the hospital or when, you know, we have, you know, things people dealt with, um, you know, just in their lives, whether that was um, being assaulted or they had a family member die when they were very young that was very impactful or um, I'm keenly aware that we experienced a collective trauma mm-hmm. um, not so long ago that we called 9-11. Um, would you define trauma for us? Is it these big life moments or is it really more than that? Um, at its core, it's really any experience that I have that outpaces my ability to cope. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the working definitions is an injury to our mind, body, or spirit through physical harm, emotional harm, or real or perceived life threat. Um, so you can see that becomes much broader encompassing than what we used to consider traumatic. Um, So absolutely what you experienced last weekend um, for you and Hattie, for sure a traumatic event. 9-11, absolutely a traumatic event, but it can also be a life-threatening illness, loss of a supportive, loving relationship, loss of a job that gave me meaning and purpose. 
I think it's important to differentiate between my experiencing a traumatic event and my um, experiencing post-traumatic stress. I don't like disorder. Um, it's a reaction. Mm. And that is something that I don't get to choose. I don't determine. It's all about um, my nervous system and its capacity in the moment that I experience a traumatic event. But one in five of us will go on to develop a post-traumatic stress reaction. Probably 100% of us will experience some sort of traumatic event throughout the course of our lives. Yeah, and I think the important part about this conversation is at least shining some light on the fact that we do all go through these things. No one is alone in their experience. We have all experienced hurt and pain. Um, We are all suffering in some way. Um, Our suffering may look different depending on where we're located, Um, but we all go through this in some way. Um, And I think the important thing too, what I love about scripture is we know we're not alone. My favorite scripture in all, when people are like, well, Christopher, what's your favorite scripture? You're a pastor, right? You obviously have one. Um, And my favorite scripture is the shortest, right? Um, And not because it was the easiest to memorize before anybody says it. Um, It's simply two words, and it's Jesus wept. Um, And it's my favorite because it's this vivid reminder that we have a God who knows what it's like to experience pain and suffering and loss. We have a God who understands our trauma, who understands our hurt, um, who walks with us in the midst of that suffering and that hurt. And I think it's powerful in the midst of the context of where that scripture is located because Jesus is coming towards Lazarus, right? But Jesus is coming very slowly. And so to me, there's always this piece of Jesus who knows I'm going to resurrect Lazarus, right? I, I know that this is my plan. This is what I'm going to be doing. And so when Jesus arrives, they say, well, Lazarus has died. And if you had been quicker, my Lord, he would Mm. not have died. And Jesus, already knowing what Jesus is going to do, could very easily do what most of us would be do, right? It's like, hey, why why do you doubt my power, right? Like, come and let us see, right? I'm I'm going to raise Lazarus right now. That's not what happens. In the midst of their suffering, in the midst of their pain, in the midst of their hurt, we get my favorite scripture, which is just Jesus wept. Mm-hmm. recognizing and understanding that hurt and suffering. Um, and I think it's a, it's a powerful reminder that we see in Scripture that as we journey towards home and towards our true selves, then we have to also embody what it means to be Christ out in the world. And part of what Christ did was Christ was aware of people suffering. Right? Um, some of the language that I have learned recently Um, If you've never read the book, The Body Keeps the Score, I recommend it. Um, It's a hard book to read just because it puts a mirror up on your own life, Um, but it's a good book to read. But some of the language I have learned is trauma-informed versus trauma-adverse. And I think the Bible is trauma-informed based off the the story I've shared there. Um, Either, uh, Jen, can you share more about what it means to be trauma-informed versus trauma-adverse? Well, um, you don't have to look very far to understand the trauma-averse. We are a very trauma-averse, grief-averse, unpleasant Mm emotion-averse culture. Um, Trauma-informed means I understand that we are all going to suffer at some point in our lives. I understand that that is going to impact my thoughts, my emotions, my body. Um, 
and it's gonna do the same for you. And so it creates this lens of compassion, really, if I recognize that if I don't do the work to heal, I'm gonna show up in the world in a way that I'm responding from my wounds, and that's gonna be true for every human being that I come into contact with, and so important to do our work. Laura, one of the things that you said in our staff meeting this week that stuck Mm -hmm. with me was that if we're being honest with the stories of our lives and trying to be trauma-informed, then one of our callings is not to shy away from our brokenness, Mm -hmm. but to live into it. Would you speak more on that? Yeah. um, You know, Brene Brown, the queen, um, says (laughs) that vulnerability is courage. And it's, it's very similar to Jesus's claims when, when Jesus reverses what we assume. Vulnerability seems like weakness. Um, I've even had someone say to me, um, I think it's so cool that you, you show your weakness. And of course, I wanted to say to her in that moment, it's actually not weakness, it's, it's power. Um, but I think, you know, scripturally, we see it throughout the Bible, um, especially in the Psalms and Lamentations. I mean, they are pouring out their grief to God. And I think sometimes we like to hold our grief in, um, but I do think that there is power in the release. Um, So one time I preached on uh, Ruth and Naomi, which is a story in the Bible um, of a widow. And I'm also a widow, so I I very much... um, resonated with that story. And part of it is that they did life together and they grieved together and they did not shy away from telling God what was up with their grief. Um, and I didn't either when I was in that place. I, I'm not going to say that I, well, I'm going to say I maybe said some choice words to God. <laughs> But I think laying bare what we're feeling and releasing that to God is what God craves from us. God craves for us to just let go and release it to the divine. But we want to hold on to it so badly um, that it almost like become, it becomes part of us and it, it weighs us down. Yeah, as we talk about things becoming part of us, um, our scripture for today comes from the book of Genesis, um, chapter 50, um, and it is the, the section in Genesis where Joseph um, forgives his brothers. Um, and I'm always taken by this scripture because I can go back and look at all of the things that Joseph went through, all of the trauma and all of the hurt. And so I'm going to read the scripture this morning, and then we're going to um, dive into it a little bit. Realizing that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers said, what if Joseph still bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all of the wrong that we did to him? And so they approached Joseph saying, your father gave this instruction before he died. Say to Joseph, I beg you, forgive the crime of your brothers and the wrong they did in harming you. And now therefore, please forgive the crime of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. And then his brothers also wept fell down before him and said, we are here as your slaves. But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good in order to preserve a numerous people as God is doing today. So have no fear. I myself will provide for you and your little ones 
And in this way, he reassured them, speaking kindly to them. And one of the things that I have been taken by in this scripture is the way that Joseph responded. We've been talking about the way that we embody our identity this morning. And I think one of the things that Joseph has always embodied from the moment we meet him in scripture all the way up into this point is Joseph is a follower of God. He's a faithful disciple of God. And so in a place and in a response where many of us might have in the moment of power responded with retribution, Joseph responds with grace. Um, And I think that's powerful because if you look at what happened to Joseph, Joseph has a lot of trauma. There he is wearing his coat of many colors, walking it off to come and show his brothers rather arrogantly, we read in scripture, right? Like, look how much our father loves me and I have this very nice coat now. And they've reached the end of his bragging. They just can't handle it anymore. And so they throw him in a pit and they say, you know what, we're gonna kill him. And there's this one brother who I always, you know, and when I read scripture, I'm always like, there's always these good and faithful, loving Christians followers of God who are like, you know what, let's not kill him, let's sell him into slavery. As if that's somehow much better, right? And like, we can look at it now and can be like, well, that's pretty awful. And I know there are some of you who are listening today who are like, I would have sold my brother into slavery as well when we were children. Um, That's okay, God forgives you too. Um, But he has that trauma. And then he gets sold into slavery. And then he ends up at Potiphar's house. And things actually start going really well and then he has that experience with Potiphar's wife and then he's in jail. And things aren't going well again. And then all of a sudden he's interpreting dreams and there's a lot of fear and what's gonna happen next and he becomes the head of Pharaoh's household and he has all of this responsibility but all of the things that happen to Joseph are a lot. It's a lot of trauma. And then he encounters his brothers. And instead of responding out of the trauma, out of the hurt, he's able to respond in a different way. And then I think about all of the things that his brothers carried that were trauma. They have to deal with the sin of both harming their brother and selling their brother into slavery. Then they have to deal with their own feelings of inadequacy of, I can't provide for my family right now. There's a famine, I don't know if my children are gonna starve, the only thing we can do is, I know that there's stuff in Egypt. There's food in Egypt, there's sustenance in Egypt, let's get there. And then they get there and find that the person in charge of distributing the food is the very brother that they harmed and sold into slavery. And so there's a whole lot of family trauma going on here. Um, There's a whole lot of stuff from Joseph. And I think one of the reasons that he's able to do that is he's embodying Christ in a certain way. But Jen, one of the things that you have talked about for years, both with me and with the students, and I'm sure you do it in your practice a lot, is these boundaries. Um, And also, you have a very unique way of talking about forgiveness um, that I've always loved. Will you share that with us this morning? Sure. Um, When we talk about boundaries, that is not my attempt to control someone else. Um, Healthy boundaries come from a place of healthy self-love. It's what I will allow and will not allow in relationship with other people. And so... um, I think that, again, is a progression throughout life. I have to learn what my boundaries are, and sometimes that is going to come through wounds. Um, And we see Joseph, he didn't have a lot of choice in some of the things that happened to him, but that's true for us too. Um, What we do see in him is a healthy self-love. Early in life, it was an arrogance, and that can be true for a lot of us. Um, But as he matured, I think he was able to 
view that more as his gifting from God. And he knew he had a divine purpose and he wasn't swayed from that. And so, again, if, if I know that I have purpose, meaning in my life, that I belong somewhere, even if that is at times only in my connection to God, and I have that healthy self-love that allows me to set those boundaries. Um, I think that also is part of what frees us up to forgive. What we, where we misstep often in especially the Christian world is forgiveness does not mean reconciliation. Those are two mm. very different things. Forgiveness is a, a process that for some people, depending on the depth of the wound, that may be something I have to do every five minutes for a while and every day for the rest of my life. I will have people um, really shame themselves because, well, I thought I had forgiven this betrayal and I'm still angry about it. Well, okay, you're human. And you may have to intentionally work through that a little bit every single day. That doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. Even though you have chosen forgiveness, that doesn't mean that it makes sense for you to reconcile or restore the relationship. That piece, I believe, is absolutely dependent upon the other person and their willingness to repent. We're going to use scriptural languaging to have that heart change, to own the ways that they hurt you and to be working towards becoming healthier themselves. Um, we see Joseph, he had, we're assuming decades away, right? There was space and distance where he could begin to heal. I think we can safely assume there was some sort of healthy relationship for him because just like we are wounded through relationship, we also heal through relationship. And so there's this assumption that um, somewhere along the way, he had some healthy attachments form with other people. Um, he also kind of tested his brothers um, to see was their repentance and evidence of heart change. Um, and then they asked for forgiveness um, from him. He didn't necessarily go seeking it out. I think that is a big indicator, too, for us of the safety of moving towards reconciliation. Yeah. I don't necessarily like their motivation for seeking forgiveness. <laughs> it's like, oh, dad's not here to protect us anymore. Um, but they, they did in some way seek that out. Um, but I also think Joseph has these examples, right? We, I know we're putting our own modern lens on the scripture, right? But I think he has boundaries. He didn't invite that family to come live with him. He didn't go back to the tents of his father, right? He stayed where he knew he was supposed to be um, and where God had called him to be. And I think the, the way that you talk about a healthy self-love um, and knowing our heart is so important. I think too, it's that important reminder of we're not made in stone. We are meant to continuously edit ourselves, to mm -hmm. analyze ourselves, to look at ourselves, to recognize our hurt and the way in which when we've been hurt, we then tend to lash out in fear and hurt as well. Um, and the way that affects the people around us, it can be very powerful. Um, Jen, there was a, a beautiful quote that you had from the Gospel of Thomas. Um, would you share that with us this morning? Sure. Um, it states, the kingdom is inside of you and it is outside of you. When you come to know yourselves, then you will become known and you will realize that it is you who are the sons of the living Father. 
So if you are watching this morning and you have been in church for a while, you might be like, I've never read the Gospel of Thomas before. Um, Most of us haven't. The Gospel of Thomas is what we call an extra canonical gospel, which means it's not in our Bibles. Um, It actually wasn't discovered until 1945 in Egypt. Um, And it is not considered canon, right? So we don't read it as scripture. But it has these beautiful sayings in it, like what Jen read to us this morning. Um, And one of the things I love about um, that particular scripture that she read is that reminder of the love and the light of God that is present, even in the midst of our darkness and our dark spaces. I think we have a hard time in the midst of what we are labeling as trauma, um, really seeing any good that could come out of it. But in hindsight, when we look back, we can often see it. Um, There is a a Hebrew word for looking towards the future, which has escaped me for the moment. Should have put it in my notes. Um, But I love it because uh, the way that the Old Testament and Hebrew scriptures are read is very differently read in the Jewish tradition than it is in our Christian tradition. And that word for looking forward actually doesn't mean looking forward. It actually means to look back Mm -hmm. forward. And part of that is in the the Hebrew tradition, as you're reading through the scriptures, um, whereas you and I go, okay, well, we can look to the future. I know I have this on my calendar coming up. I've got this meeting. I've got this vacation planned. I have um, these things that I'm working towards. The future actually is very uncertain. And in the Hebrew tradition, as they look towards the future, they look to the past. And they do that because they know what God has done for them in the past. Because they can look at it, they can see it, they can hold it up. God was with me in the hurt. God was with me in the pain. I can see the grace of God in my life. I can see the love of God in my life. And so in the Hebrew tradition, as you walk forwards, you actually walk backwards with your eyes on God. Because you know what God has done in the past, And because God has been faithful to you in the past, you know God will be faithful to you Mm. in the future. Um, And so as you read that, it reminded me of the way that we think about the way that we walk backwards into the future. Um, All right, does anyone have any closing words or closing thoughts for us? We're reaching the end of our time. I just think that's a really beautiful thought um, that you're continuously... um, you know, we often think of it as self-improvement or self-growth, but that God is calling us to do spiritual work inside of ourselves, to continuously edit who we are, to continuously look forward mm-hmm. um, by looking in the past and then figuring out how to move forward. And I think that's really powerful that we can co-create our own selves with the Spirit. Um, and I just... I think that's really beautiful. I have a closing quote. You oh, know love me. That. that doesn't surprise you. <laughs> um, this is from Jerry Sitzer, who professor of theology, who also in one car accident lost his mom, his wife, and his daughter. Mm. Um, he is now the author of a book called A Grace Disguised, and he states this, the difference between despair and hope, bitterness and forgiveness, hatred and love, and stagnation and vitality lies in the decisions we make about what to do in the face of regrets over an unchangeable and painful past. Mm. I love that. I think it is this reminder, right, that we experience the past. We can't change it, but we can grow from it. Um, I'm aware that there are things that all of us are carrying that are really hard to carry. 
Um, and I think like Joseph, we are meant to embody Christ and we're meant to give all of that hurt to Christ. Um, but sometimes the burden is so heavy that we can't carry it by ourselves. And so we are here as a gathered community to help you carry it. But I also think that um, sometimes that load can help be carried over to God and handed to God um, in the hands of a really good therapist. And so if you need help finding a therapist, um, there will be a slide that will play that has a QR code. Um, You can email me. I'll help you find somebody. Um, I encourage you to talk to Jen. Jen is um, one of the primary founders of Planting Seeds, this wonderful group that helps you plant seeds for future growth. Um, And so she would be more than happy to get to you connected to somebody who can help you carry this burden that you might be carrying so that you can eventually hand it to God to hold so that we can embody Christ together. So thank you for being a part of this conversation this morning. A huge thank you to Jen for being here, Laura, for your wisdom. Um, And if we can help you carry a burden this day, um, please let us know. We'd love to be in conversation with you um, and help find out how we can help you carry that load. So thank you, everybody.